Fashion Questions. On each episode, we ask a different question to retail insiders about the fashion industry. This is where they share their views and insights. Brought to you by Hive. The group's fashion portfolio includes Moda at Spring and Autumn Fair, Pure London and Pure Origin. Stay tuned. Welcome to the second episode of Fashion Questions. And the question today is how will the future retail store look like? To help us understand where the retail market is heading, we have with us Doug Stevens, a retail futurist and renowned author. After working in the retail industry for 20 years, he founded Retail Profit, a consultancy specializing in trends forecasting and consumer behavior. His latest book was published in 2021. Resurrecting Retail, the Future of Business in a Post-Pandemic World is all about the retail industry's transformation since the pandemic. Good morning and thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, when introducing your latest book on YouTube, you've shared a series of interviews, one of them with Christina Fontana, head of the fashion and luxury at Alibaba, who spoke about a fusion between technology and physical retail. She mentioned how access points spread throughout a pop-up store in Tokyo enable customers to get further information about products directly on their mobile, including video tutorials. Do you think this will be available in the store of the future? I do. Um, you know, I, I think that clearly, and this is going to be sort of stating the obvious, but clearly there's uh, more of a melding together happening between phys the physical and the digital. And I think uh, certainly, um, you know, the Asian market has been ahead of most markets in that respect in terms of bringing these two these two worlds together. Um, so yes, I think where, where it makes sense uh, in the customer journey, we will find these intersection points where technology may uh, enable someone in a physical store to gather more information, potentially to order products that may not be in the, within the inventory of that physical store at that moment. Um, it may avail all kinds of different services and information and products. So yeah, I, I do see that. But I also think we have to be we have to be cautious, I suppose, uh, in terms of how we view the relative importance or value of the physical space uh, versus online. Uh, and we have to recognize that I think in some cases today, especially given how connected we all are to technology, um, you know, er almost every moment of every day, that to a, to a large extent, going to a physical store is about disconnecting. It isn't about going to a physical space only to have a digital experience. Uh, you know, so I, I think that we also have to focus very much as we move into this future on sort of retaining that celebration of the physical, of allowing people to, again, where it makes sense and where it adds value to connect to information or services or products uh, in the moment. But we also have to make a real effort to celebrate the physicality of that retail experience and allow people to engage on a physical and an emotional level, as opposed to uh, just through the screen of their mobile device. So. Yeah, I see this merger coming together, but at the same time, I hope that we can 
retain the elements of, of both experiences, both online and the physical realm that make, uh, that make for a great shopping experience. Do you think the role of the retail store is changing? Is it now much more about brand uh, loyalty and building communities more than anything else, more than a shopping experience per se? It, it, it certainly is. Um, you know, and something that, that I started tracking and, and following and writing about uh, as early as 2013 was this idea that what I really felt was happening in the market was a, a tr kind of a trading of roles between our concept of media and advertising and physical retail distribution. And what I mean by that is that conventionally, uh, and conventionally meaning for at least the last couple of hundred years, we have operated in the retail industry against a construct that said, you need to go out and buy advertising, whether that's conventional or, or digital today. And if you buy the right advertising and you create the right advertising messages, you can push your customer to a point of distribution, whether that's a, an online store or a physical store. So it was really about using media as a means of customer acquisition. And I find today that the opposite, in fact, is happening, that media, where it's effective today, is the point of distribution, that it's not about just simply putting out advertising messages and in the hopes of driving traffic to a point of distribution, but rather it's about using content to actually engage customers online and create buying moments in, in those online experiences, uh, buying moments that, that uh, the customer can feel very confident about because you've supplied the right information, the right inspiration, and the right technology for them to make a purchase. By, by the same token, I think the opposite is happening with physical space. Brands that really recognize, I think, what is going on in the market today are increasingly using their physical stores not simply as a distribution vehicle for products, but rather using them as a really vital media channel, treating every customer interaction as though it's a media impression that supports your brand, that allows you to engage a customer in that brand experience, in that brand story. So, um, you know, the, the store of the future, I think, is going to be measured in a very different way than the store of today. Yes, we will obviously still be uh, uh, concerned with and, and be looking for four-wall sales within the, within the store itself. We will also be looking for the attribution value that that store has in terms of its ability to generate online sales within a given market or, or um, sub-market. But thirdly, we'll also be looking at physical stores for their media value. How many people came into the store in a particular year? How long did they stay? Where did they go? What did they engage with? Who did they engage with? And ultimately, were those interactions positive or negative? We have the means today to measure all of that. And I think that arriving at that third value, you know, beyond simply the sales that go in the till each day, will give us a much greater appreciation of the total value of a, of a physical space. So the way I put it is that we're moving into a world where media is fast becoming the store and stores are fast becoming a media channel that brands are using to great effect.
Many pop-up stores create highly experiential spaces where customers are literally pampered. How important is entertainment for a future retail store? It, it depends on the brand. Um, <clears throat> and um, first of all, you know, what I will say is that I, I, you know, pop-up pop efforts and activations can, can be very intriguing. They can be very interesting. But we have to, as an industry, we have to stop thinking in terms of um, activating a customer experience as though it's an event, right? Um, that, you know, 364 days out of the year, our brand operates in a certain way. And then when we have this pop-up experience, it's a totally different experience, much more engaged, much more um, intriguing and interesting. We have to stop thinking that way. Because frankly, every time I go into a store, it should be that pop-up event. <laughs> you know, this shouldn't be something that we're doing exclusively um, when, when it uh, suits our needs. It really has to become a practice every day at retail. In terms of entertainment value, I have a perspective that I, that I actually uh, share in, in my latest book, Resurrecting Retail, where I believe it's really important um, that brands begin to center themselves around sort of a sphere of dominance. Um, and what I mean by that is that brands, ultimately, retailers and brands need to have a purpose to consumers beyond simply the product itself. But sometimes orienting oneself around a purpose can be very difficult. And oftentimes when we think of purpose, we think solely about you know, environmental or social purposes. But what I really meant in the book is what is the utility that the customer gets beyond the product itself? And so what I came down to was that there are really four quadrants, competitive quadrants, where brands can focus their energy and really dominate within their market. And the four quadrants are culture. So yeah, brands that, that really focus in on social or environmental issues, uh, Patagonia being a good example of a, of a global brand that does just that, um, and, and, and really being the champion for those causes and galvanizing a tribe of consumers around that cause. So there's the culture quadrant. Then there's the entertainment quadrant. These are brands that they may carry uh, what other brands sell uh, in terms of the general selection of products, but they create a really tremendous experience around those products, an entertaining experience. And a great example of that is a brand in New York City called Camp, a toy store that uh, really creates almost theatrical sorts of experiences for children and their families. So their products aren't wildly different, but the experience itself is, and it's very much about entertainment. The third quadrant is expertise. These are retailers uh, to whom I will visit uh, and, and, and uh, buy from if, if the product in question is something I really feel I need great advice on, expert advice on. And for each of us, that, that may be a different product category that we feel we need that level of support on. But retailers that really dominate with their knowledge of the category. And then finally, there's a product uh, quadrant where it's really about the engineering and uniqueness of your product or the access that you have created, the, the buying experience that you've created to access that product. So getting back to your question, um, is entertainment a, a, an important part of every, you know, kind of future retail experience? 
I don't think so. I think it really depends on the brand and it depends on your brand strategy. And it, I guess it also depends on how we define entertainment. But I think that for, for different brands and different retail uh, companies, the choice is going to be different. For some, they will focus purely on efficiency, convenience, speed of delivery, et cetera. And for others, it may be a far more engaged experience. And we have to choose which, which of these competitive quadrants are we really going to plant our flag on and try and dominate in? And for some, it may be the entertainment factor. I noticed that you mentioned camp and you did speak with uh, Rachel Shetman, founder and story um, board member at camp. And she advised uh, at the time appointing a chief experience officer, someone who ensures positive interactions between a brand and its customers. How important is this role going to be in the future? Well, I think it, I think it's vitally important. Um, and, I, and I think it's, it's important particularly today, um, you know, in the same way that maybe a decade ago uh, or so, uh, people were saying you need to appoint a social media manager, you know, or a chief social media uh, person within the organization. Today, we don't look at it that way. We, we have accepted the fact that uh, social media is just, it's part of the marketing mix like anything else and that your chief marketing officer can easily oversee social media activities. So uh, in the same sense, I think today there is considerable misunderstanding around what we mean when we say experience. Some people will say, well, that just means service. Other people will, will believe that that means the look and feel of the store and the merchandising and the physical aspects of the store. And for, for others, it may, they may have a more full understanding and sort of accept the idea that this is about the end-to-end -end experience. It's about every junction of that customer's journey with your brand. But, but suffice to say, there is significant misunderstanding. And there's also very often, I think, within certain companies, there's a, a sort of a, a, a conflict um, at play between the people that are, are responsible for marketing and the people that are responsible for the operation of stores. And sometimes their goals uh, and even their incentive plans don't line up. Uh, they're basically out you know, looking uh, at completely different objectives. So to have someone within the organization who A, uh, really understands in a holistic way what the notion of customer experience really means. Uh, if someone who understands uh, from experience how you go about designing and uh, executing and implementing a customer experience that's rich and robust and has value, and someone who can be sort of the arbitrator between these disparate interests uh, within the organization, someone who can step in as the voice of reason between sales and marketing or, or store operations and marketing and make sure that the customer is sitting at the table for every decision. You know, we used to say uh, when I worked in, in corporate many, many years ago, we would have meetings where we were talking about that, the customer experience and we would go to the extent of actually pulling up an empty chair to the, to the conference room table. And all of us would know that that's the customer's chair. They're in the meeting. They're sitting with us. And, and they have a voice in, in the discussion and the decisions that we're making. 
um, the chief experience officer, if you will, needs to be that that uh, conscience, uh, you know, on behalf of the customer. And more and more, it's all about providing a personalized retail experience. And we're talking about facial recognition technology playing a role here. Do you think this could become mainstream at some point? I, I do. I, I think it. I think it ultimately will. Uh, and 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 frankly, I mean, you know, every time I unlock my iPhone today it's using facial recognition. You know, I'm not even using fingerprint recognition anymore. So biometric uh, technology, I think is, is it's not really even a technological question anymore. You know, um, I think that it, it really is more of a social question. These things are never technologically difficult, but they are sometimes socially difficult. And while I can, you know, feel okay about the fact that I unlock my iPhone uh, via facial recognition, would I feel as comfortable walking into a shopping center and having my photo taken or video of me and my family taken and then, um, you know, cross-referenced to a database of consumers and my needs and preferences and past purchases identified, my address, all that information being uh, kind of an open book? I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, um, and I and I'm not sure that any of us, frankly, uh, you know, know uh, how comfortable we might be with that. But I think these things also take time, and it is um, by degrees that we become more comfortable. You know, as more and more technologies sort of move over in a relatively benign way to using things like fingerprint technology or iris recognition or facial recognition, uh, our comfort level uh, can improve. So I think what we all agree on are, are a few things. I think we all agree that we're, we're becoming accustomed to a level of understanding and personalization in our online interactions today that we are increasingly expecting to carry over into the physical world. It feels almost jarring to go from an experience online where you and your past purchase preferences and your specific needs and proclivities as a consumer are recognized and catered to, to an environment where you walk into a physical store and you are you're, you're, uh, you know, just a question mark to everyone in that store. Nobody knows who you are, whether you've ever shopped with them before, what your buying history is. Those two worlds are feeling more and more different all the time. So I think as we become more anticipatory of the kind of personalization we get online in the offline world, we have to be willing as consumers to also accept a level of technology that enables that kind of personalization at retail. So a really long way of answering a very simple question. <laughs> but yeah, I think that uh, as we move forward, we'll, we'll go over the social bumps in the road. Uh, there will certainly be some, probably some litigation. Uh, there will be some consternation on the part of consumers occasionally about these technologies. But ultimately, I think that's the world we're moving toward and it, and it seems to make sense. Um, for the launching of your latest book, you also spoke with the founder of Obsess, a company creating 3D stores for many luxury brands. 
could this be integrated in a bricks and mortar store so that customers could also enter the virtual store and order other products, for instance? Yeah, and, and you're, you're referring to Nia Singh's company. Yes, Nia is exactly. a delightful, delightful person. Um, and, and she's been working away at Obsessed now for, for quite a number of years. Um, she was a real pioneer into this notion of 3D uh, digital virtual spaces. Um, so rather than you know, a, a brand simply using a conventional website that's just basically a, an index database with a search bar, Nia creates environments uh, that you can shop in in a more intuitive and natural way and sort of move through the space, uh, which is animated, but do so in a way that you would do in the physical world. So it's really cool technology. Um, a couple things about it, though, I think that and Nia has acknowledged this, uh, that, that from a technological standpoint, we're not necessarily yet at the point where we can make these virtual environments feel as real and immersive as we would like. And a lot of that just simply comes down to processing power and the available technologies that we have today. But we're getting there. The question of Again, will, will, we, will we be able to use these tools in a physical environment? If I go to a physical store, can I sort of teleport myself into a virtual extension of that store? Um, I think the, the answer is from a practical standpoint, yes, of course, we will be able to do that at some junction. Um, it will take I think a persistent level of technology that is available to us, um, whether that's smart glasses or, or some other uh, function uh, via a smartphone, we'll need to have something that makes that, that journey from the physical to the virtual very easy, very intuitive. Um, in the same way that you know, when, when QR codes started being used years ago, um, in many cases, consumers didn't even know what to do with it. They didn't, they didn't even know how to scan a, a, a QR code. And so there was this initial failure of QR codes in the market. Well, today we all have QR code scanners in, in the cameras of our phones. And so we use those technologies pretty fluidly. The same thing would need to occur that we have this persistent ability to just move into a virtual setting. But the, but the real question is, will we want to? And again, I come back to the idea that considering most of us are online engaged in some level of, of technology, uh, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, uh, the real question will be, will we see utility in going to a physical store only to have a virtual experience? I'm not so sure. Uh, time, will, time will tell. You mentioned QR codes, um, and do you think this technology in particular could be used to map sustainability, or is this too far-fetched for now? No, I mean, if, if by mapping sustainability, you mean the, uh, the ability to understand the uh, provenance of a particular product, exactly. uh, to understand its uh, carbon footprint, uh, to understand the uh, 
the treatment of workers within the supply chain that produced that product. Sure. I mean, that's, that's all just available information. And um, the QR code really is not much more than just a vehicle for making that, that information accessible. I think that the bigger question really, rather than, you know, will, will we use QR codes to understand the sustainability factor of a particular product? The real question is, do brands even understand really and truly the sustainability factor of their own products, you know? And, and I think that's really the barrier. I think most brands today don't have visibility into their supply chains beyond their their primary vendors. You know, uh, once you step past their primary level of vendors and and manufacturers, uh, most uh, supply chains become a black box. We don't know really where uh, some of the components of a product may be made. We don't know what the treatment of workers are like is like in those uh, facilities. Uh, we don't really know what the environmental damage of some of these products are within supply chains. So I don't know that it's as much a matter of do we have the technology or would, would we use QR codes to understand the sustainability of a product as much as it is, as it is about do most companies have the capacity to even tell that story to consumers in a way that is credible and factual. Um, I think companies are getting there uh, slowly but surely as, as the importance around these issues uh, ramps up. But, uh, but I, I think most aren't there yet, not today. What are the biggest changes you've noticed in the retail industry since writing your first book in 2013? Is this the new age of consumerism you've anticipated? Yeah, I really believe that the, the, big, the big change here is that, you know, and, and, and this, this is something that, that, you know, again, I think was, was bubbling uh, ferociously to the surface in 2013, but, but started well before that. The change is this, if you, if you go to any street corner in the world, go to a street corner in New York City or London or Paris or, you know, Toronto for that matter, where, where I live, and you stand on a street corner and look around you, about 90% or more of what you will see within your field of vision is a product of the industrial era. All of the transportation systems, all of the outdoor media systems, all of the office buildings and storefronts and department stores, you know, all of this, all of this around us today is a, is a, a relic of the industrial world. And then as you pan down in your field of vision to the street, you will almost inevitably see people that are glued to smart devices, you know, that, that are constantly in contact and in concert with their, with their technology. So we are a very digital society uh, that is still living to a large extent in a very industrialized world. And I think retail has really found itself in that position, sort of straddling the line between the digital and the industrial uh, eras. I think the pandemic has, if anything, it has pushed us further across that line. 
Um, and I think there's a wide sort of recognition that to a large extent, we really have crossed into now the digital era of retail. The surprising thing is that, you know, uh, contrary to what many might have been forecasting in 2013, I don't think that there's necessarily a decrease in the importance of physical retail within that equation, within that digital, uh, within that digital world. I think physical experiences are vitally important to us as human beings, because at the end of the day, we're not just, um, you know, sort of disembodied uh, brains that operate in virtual space. We're we're physical creatures. We rely on senses to, uh, you know, to to operate uh, as human beings. We need social interaction. We enjoy being in public, at least some of the time, <laughs> depending on where we are and what we're doing. So, so we are uh, physiological creatures. Uh, so the importance of physical stores is not necessarily going away, but what we have to recognize and, and what I think we are slowly beginning to recognize is that the fundamental functions of a physical store must be different. They must adapt and even the goals of a physical store being a, a vehicle for sales, we need to start questioning whether or not that is still as relevant uh, in this new world that we're moving into. My belief is that we will continue to go to physical stores, but we will do so for very, very different reasons in the future. Um, it will not be about going to simply pick up a product and drag it home with us the way it has been for the last several hundred years. Um, we will have, uh, we, we will see great utility in physical retail stores, but for reasons well beyond the product. And so uh, I'm encouraged. I mean, I'm encouraged by what's happening in the market, albeit slowly. Uh, and as someone who focuses on the future, oftentimes I feel like I'm kind of waiting, you know, at a, I'm waiting at a restaurant somewhere with a, you know, a cup of coffee, waiting for the industry to kind of catch up so we can continue the conversation. But, um, but we're getting there. One last question. What sure. advice would you give to retailers to stay at the top of their game in the future? Change before you need to. Change before you need to. The, the one most consistent thing that I have found uh, when, when sort of looking at the winners and losers in, in the retail industry is that the losers uh, only attempted to change when they absolutely had to. Uh, they, they resisted evolution. They resisted innovation. Uh, they ignored, uh, in some cases, you know, flashing red lights of disaster ahead because Organizational change isn't easy. It's not always pleasant. Uh, it it uh, really uh, can be a very anxiety-inducing experience. And uh, you know, many many business leaders feel that their responsibility is to maintain stability in the organization, to provide a level of certainty about the future. And I think that's a huge mistake. It's sort of a, a cultural aspect of leadership in the West that we need to move beyond. Uh, I believe that, that leaders need to be a catalyst for uncertainty, controlled uncertainty, 
within an organization. They need to be people that are continually pushing the organization out of its comfort zone. And frankly, the best time to innovate is really when you are doing very well. You know, when you have the financial resources and the human resources and the spirit within the organization to embark on change. The worst time to try and innovate is when you're going bankrupt. Uh, it, it becomes almost impossible. So that, that would be my take. Change before you need to. Thank you so much, Doug, for being my with pleasure. us today. Yeah. And thank you for our listeners to, for being with us as well. And we will be back with more fashion questions. So stay tuned.